0: This is the Change Order podcast, where we discuss the people, ideas, and projects at the forefront of housing innovation. My name is David Friedlander. I am your host. And with me today are um, fellow Change Order Group uh, consultant members, uh, Greg and Mike. And uh, this uh, episode of the Change Order podcast is brought by the Change Order group. Uh, uh, We are uh, actively looking for developers, investors, municipalities uh, who are serious about uh, tackling some of the issues that we're going to be talking about today, uh, namely the the impact of um, climate, social justice, um, land use, all these things uh, on on our built environment uh, and on real estate uh, development, planning, investing, and underwriting uh, if you um, want to know uh, where things are going, um, you know, uh, I, I think uh, we, we have we have some sense uh, and, you know, some of that will be uh, borne out in uh, the content that we're making, such as this podcast. So uh, um, I'll, uh, you can check out more about us at um, changeorder.group. Uh, also, uh, email uh, info at changeorder.group if you have any questions. And... Um, uh, Mike, uh, Greg, and I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, uh, with Derek Borowski, who's, uh, who probably hop back on at some point in time, but, uh, you know, we were thinking about what are, what, where, where should we start and thinking about, you know, content, uh, as, um, as a way of both educating, uh, what's going on in the status quo, but educating in terms of, and conceptualizing and using our imaginations to conceptualize, uh, uh, other outcomes other than what is happening in status quo. So, um, you know, I think Mike, Greg and I uh, in the group are, are the most, um, you know, the, 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 the most burning bush uh, <laughs> of the three, like, uh, you know, and I think it has a lot to do, I mean, most of the, mo- everyone in the group is a, uh, is a parent, I believe, uh, but, you know, we all have two kids and, uh, you know, the, the, the cognizance of, of, of the uh, challenges, I mean, at least I'll speak for myself, of what my kids have to, are going to have to deal with. I mean, what I'm, you know, what we're going to have to deal with, but, uh, but certainly what, what, what my children uh, will uh, in 50, 60, 70 years, God willing, they're, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, it's, it's, it's not top of mind. It's like, I'm, you know, like, ah! <laughs> so, um, you know, some, some data came out. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's been coming out the last couple few days uh, about the uh, drought conditions, particularly in the West, but it's not limited to the West. I mean, some of it's dipping into the northwest, like into North Dakota. Uh, but certainly the uh population density is most uh, you know, uh, the, the the population centers are uh the most um alarming. Uh pretty much the whole West Coast, uh the the condition the the drought conditions are far worse than they were last year. Uh I mean something on the order of like 10x uh and uh and last year was was horrible i'm in colorado right now i arrived here the sky was red um you know and and each year is another unprecedented year another unusual year you know <laughs> like 10 million acres uh burned last year and it was um you know it was only rivaled by the previous um or maybe it was 2017 but it was some it was some year very very close and all the all the major years have been in the last 10 years so it's just getting b- bad and it's going to get worse, right? Um, so. You know, before we do anything, before we talk about, you know, doing eco districts in Seattle, you know, like, and, 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 and you know, and, and I'm all for, you know, you know, I think we're all for, you know, the proper type of development. Um, uh, but before we do that, like, is there going to be a West, you know, is there going to be a Seattle to build them, you know, or is there going to be water to, you know, more accurately, is there going to be enough water for the, the populations of Seattle or Portland or uh, you know, certainly California, blah, 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 blah. So, um, uh, and then, you know, uh, and then, and then, you know, how, how do we move forward? And and again, just to be emphatic about it, the, the, the current real estate development patterns and municipal patterns, which are focusing on essentially, um, you know, single family housing, 80% of our housing stock and, uh, car centered and, um, and just essentially, uh, Putting renewables into the status quo versus thinking of a, a wholesale contraction, some sort of major transformation, uh, you know, microgrids and all that stuff. So, how do we, you know, how do we, what what do we do if anything? I mean, maybe it's just um, moved moved. Maybe the answers moved to Michigan. I don't know. Um, so, so I, I you know, I, I, I've spoken enough. Um, so, you know, I hand it over to my esteemed colleagues here.
1: Well, I'll dive in. This is this is Greg. Thanks for having us, David. As always, it's a pleasure to be back. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I agree. The the data that is coming out of California is terrifying to say the least when it comes to drought and the wildfire index, setting it up to be utterly horrific. But to me, what gets w- really interesting about California is that it's shaping up to be truly like a sort of a mirror image of Florida, right? I think I think for those of us who've been watching climate change and are interested in issues of like climate migration, managed retreat, what do, what can we save? Where what do we abandon? uh, that c- conversation has always been focused really like on Florida, Miami and, and, you know, rising, rising tides. Uh, but in the last few years, it's really become the wildfires. And, and it's interesting to me in a couple, couple respects. Number one, uh, the same logic that applies to the Gulf, I, I think, and, and to, you know, to the East side of Florida is that it would be impossible to live there long before it actually flooded because financial instruments would kick in. You wouldn't be able to get, you'd see a precipitous decline in housing values people would leave if they had the option or be forced out if they couldn't and that's starting to come into play in california last week the 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 state's insurance regulator is trying to like crack down again on trying to prevent people from building in the so-called urban wilderness interface which is of course where people are buying homes because it is impossible to buy affordable housing in the temperate zones along the coast because of
0: At at record high prices
1: uh, yes, and so much nimbyism, I mean, we can go into that, but like this is a, a deliberate downstream effect, right, of the impossibility of building in those areas due to nimbyism, which drives up the prices. So people are, you know, com- you know, drive until you qualify, as they say, uh, for mortgages, which puts them squarely in harm's way. So now we've seen, you know, the, the, the insurers for two years in a row have tried to basically blanket drop all those policies, which the state forbid. And now the state's trying to figure it out. It's going to require the state legislature to actually pass some of this stuff which, you know, we've seen how efforts to reform California housing has stymied that. So I, I think that vice will continue to tighten there. So that's that's one thing that stands out. The second one, you know, I've had conversations about this with folks like Skylar Olson, who's the chief economist at Climate Check, which is trying to be like, basically like, you know, walk score for climate, look you know, or, or, or flood factor from the First Street Foundation and others, but like a sort of all in one, one to 100, what is the climate risk of my house? And, you know, they've had some interesting philosophical conversations like, Am I a climate migrant or is it a climate risk if one week a year I have to rig up HEPA filtration on my house in Oregon or Washington state because there's so much burning that that Portland or Seattle is the most polluted city in the world as they were for briefly for last year. And that happens every year. We know it'll happen like clockwork. It's not a hurricane. It's not an invisible rising sea level, it is the fires. And you know, will that trigger out migration? And what, and what does it mean if we have to take you know, the Pacific Northwest off the table as viable destinations for people to, to, to build sustainably because of those wildfires? So that, that all stands out. And I'll, I'll come back on thoughts on where we should move to because I just published a piece on this, but I'm curious to hear Mike's thoughts because he's living there right now. So this is not an academic discussion for him.
2: So we, uh, when we, uh, sorry, when we first had kids, uh, we kind of assumed we would be here long-term. I think that we still plan on being here long-term the smoke effects two years ago were pretty minimal. Uh, and that was the year I was in Germany. So I don't have a lot of direct experience with that. Uh, but before that, they kept getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, David was right last year was pretty much the worst year. I think on record here, we had a solid two weeks where we basically didn't leave our house. Uh, we got lucky in that the house that we rented had a pretty good uh, filtration system. And so it wasn't smoking inside. Uh, but the, the question of you know whether this place will be habitable uh, in the in the future, I think is a really it's a really difficult one, uh, because as you said, a lot of places have uh, the Pacific Northwest is kind of like this uh, destination, you know, for for dealing with uh, with climate change, right? Like we're going to get more water, uh, it's not going to get too hot, so we're kind of hitting a lot of these things. But we do have the earthquake risks, uh, and then if we're going through these years where we have you know two, three, potentially even longer uh, episodes of just absurd amounts of smoke. Uh, you know, how will people live here? The western slopes of the Cascades haven't really started drying out yet. We don't really have the issue in California of uh, you know, a mandated wildland urban interface. There's tons of people in the sur- suburbs around Seattle that live in the forests. Um, so I, you know, once those Western Cascades start to go, I think things could actually get really dire. The issue then is our municipality is gonna start doing things to, to mitigate that, right? so for years i've been saying look we need to take uh, our community centers our schools uh, we need to retrofit them with uh, filtration systems HEPA filters basically these will become like cooling centers breathing centers you know for people who you know don't have uh, these kinds of apparatuses in their houses Uh, but the the long-term you know kind of implications of stuff like that is it's just nuts like are millions of people going to up and leave seattle uh, or the pacific northwest that's a difficult one. I don't think that they will, because so many of the other benefits, right, uh, are, are are really driving a lot of the immigration that we already have. So what we might end up with is this bifurcation where a month out of the year, people leave and go live somewhere else uh, where there's not smoke, right, so that they can afford to breathe. Um, you know, inequality and everything else being as it is, though, you know, that's not really going to solve any of these issues. Um, and, and so there's some really deep philosophical questions. Uh, that we're going to have to have probably in the, the very near future.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I mean, there there's certain places, though, um, that are not quite, uh, I mean, to bring it back to South Florida, uh, there are certain places that look doomed, right? I don't know, to me, like, so, so, um, and, and I'm just going to say it, you know. It's like you know Utah and the whole Great Basin. That's where the that's where the um, the drought is the worst, right? And um, I mean, I saw something talking about it. You know, like Northern Africa used to be forested. You know, people don't understand how bad shit can get. You know, and there's no like. I mean, I think the Pacific Northwest is unlikely to become a desert, um, but. Phoenix could. Uh, well, well, <laughs> Phoenix,
1: Phoenix is. I mean, but but your point there about the Great Basin. Like, I mean, Ogden, I mean, the, there's been stories on this. Ogden, Provo, some of the fastest growing cities in America. And like, you know, huge 18,
0: 18, growth. 18, 18%, 18% yeah. um, uh, for the last decade. Uh, uh pop, number one growing state was Utah. And and it's, it seems to be the epicenter of of the drought. Um so I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like there's their definition of irresponsible, but like, to me, that's, that's irresponsible. Um, I don't know. Uh, like, it's not, uh, it's not sustainable. And, 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 to my mind, I can't see any other outcome uh, over the long haul than, than either a readjustment of, of population to, um, you know, to fit within its, uh, within its resources because uh, I mean, it's already. I mean, most of these, um, most of the Great Basin states are taking their um, water from the Colorado anyway. Uh, so it's kind of a distributed network as it is, right? Um, so I mean, basically, I think there needs to be a real conversation about deep, <laughs> like, like degrowth. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's a trade trademarked term, but um, I know it's a it's it's a term going around.
1: Well that I mean I mean I mean the, the degrowth conversation I think is a bigger one that we can have here it's like that gets into like systemic civilizational stuff and like you know capitalism etc but um which definitely worth the conversation
0: <laughs> it's but, happening man <laughs> but, but the larger point there
1: is like i mean it, it will be interesting about like yeah to, to mike's points there about like whether people will leave you know I, one of the things i marvel at i know alex stefan you know the the environmentalist has marveled at this too of like to which the degree people are normalizing the california fire season it's just like it's another month like it's it's just part of the landscape and like you know i, I think i made a joke at, on twitter at one point that like You know, I look forward to like, you know, the Goldman Sachs first year analysts, like desperately trying to rig their HEPA filters while working 105 hour remote weeks during the next pandemic during wildfire season. And that'll just be normal. That'll just be what happens. Um, so there is, there's definitely that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, but I think, I think there are, there are some conversations, right? I think Idaho just recently reached a landmark deal, uh, to basically start thinking about like sort of water usage in one of the rivers there. Like there's some there's there's some, or perhaps it was Washington state with Idaho. I I get confused there. Northwest politics aren't my strong point there, but there is actually a few like conversations about how to do this on the flip side. I mean, Tennessee and Georgia are, you know, practically fighting a civil war over their water issues. And I'll be curious to see sort of how that breaks down there as well, but I don't know it, it is it is your your point there like it's we're more likely to see given the general the drift of politics in the United States to see like much more you know, we'll just continue this growth until something breaks or until we can steal water from the great Lakes. I, I know I've been waiting my, my signal point by the way, having just written about this is is like, I keep waiting for, as a a trigger event, someone trying to siphon water out of the Great Lakes. I think Wisconsin tried to do it, right? I think Kenosha was trying to actually pull more water out of the lakes, but I keep waiting for people to try to build pipelines like China has done, you know, mass canals and mass irrigation. I think
0: think Nestle uh, is trying to uh, do a pipeline across the Atlantic uh, to to get a... Great yeah, lake it, would, water. It, would,
1: it would not, it would not shock me there, but, but yeah, that's one of those things that I think about, but, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I just published an op-ed in Fast Company this past week on sort of like making, making the Great Lakes great again. And like, you know, this, this argument, which has come up many times about like the fact that like, you know, you have cities like Buffalo, Detroit, and others that were designed for populations twice their size, which have seen this outflow to the Sunbelt, you know, if you can't compel people to move back there, I don't think you want to. At the very least, you can direct federal investment dollars there. And like that was sort of our pitch is the Biden administration should spend money where it is not likely to burn down, flood, wash away, et cetera. And like, you know, you could at least, you know, use the climate models that NOAA has, which are also dire. The climate models are as bad as the weather models um, and climate change is happening even faster uh, than, we, than we expected. Um, at least use that as a way to direct investment. So, so I don't know, I keep waiting for that discourse because as I think we discussed last time on here, like the, com- the, the companies, the home builders, out, the, the ones that are out there that are smart, they're quietly realizing this and they're taking steps. They just don't want to talk about it because of course it jeopardizes everything.
0: So. Yeah, I just wonder whether, and maybe Mike, you can speak to this, Whether I mean, I, I, just just from the general conversations that I have with capital market investors and developers, they actually don't understand the issues. Uh, and they don't understand the solutions. Uh, it's 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 literally. I keep on thinking of this,, um, you know, there's like the tale of Native Americans seeing Columbus's ship come to shore, and they actually didn't see them because it was so outside of their realm of thinking, you know, which apparently, you know, I'm sure it was bullshit. but but in terms of the capital market investors, they can't like fathom a world without you know, x, y, and z, you know? Um, it, you know, uh, so um, uh, but you
1: know, but that's but that's but I was a to argue that's until they do because I'm I'm reminded when you put it that way of like Tanisi Coase's arguments about gentrification being of course you know uh, you know basically a, a built on the backs of African Americans right like we basically had to destroy the value of African American neighborhoods so we could revalue them for white people through gentrification in city across city after city across America. I would argue that the capital markets will not understand this until the moment they do. And then there will be vulture investing across the Great Lakes or anywhere else right.
0: kind of thing. So what, yeah. I'm, what I'm, I mean, and, and I'm very happy to talk to uh, capital market developers and investors because uh, <laughs> basically this is, I mean, what, what, what I'm trying to do here is set up a scenario. It's like, hey, everyone has summer plans. I'm saying, hey, your summer plans may change. And, you know, in your, i in your investment decisions, you know, you have a, you know, I know how these things work. They have, you know, multiple year trajectories for, um, you know, per pipeline and whatnot. And you have a certain plan to develop in a certain way. And I suspect this is the summer of change plans, you know, um, as 2020 was, <laughs> you know, based on the climate projection. So, you know, uh, maybe this is a nice segue to hand it over to Mike, like, how should we change our plans? You know, um, let, let's, let's say, let's. Let's, let's say there's a raging fucking inferno this summer, which is entirely possible, you know, like 2X, 3X last summer, let's just keep it conservative, right? Um, um, and, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, you know, gee willigers, what do we do, you know? Um, I, and I think that, that's what I've, you know, I think uh, d- sets this group apart is we, as a collective body have really had our eyes trained on the future for, you know, for most of our uh, professional careers. So, um, you know, uh, looking ahead at the, you know, uh, September or uh, <laughs> no, uh, October of, of 2021, way, way, way in the distance, you know, um, if I was a smart city who was, you know, really understood the risks, you know, where, where, where would I start, you know. So you're saying that to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh,
2: you know I think the, te- te- the
0: te- you know be, be be technical and geeky and, and maybe you know um you might know some case studies perhaps.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think the the big one is like there's going to be a huge swath of the country that is not really comfortable to live in for long long periods of time, right? Uh, and issues around Nick vern- tweeting about this yesterday, issues around vernacular architecture uh, aren't going to solve the issue. We're going to have to uh, electrify everything. We're going to need air conditioning in places that, you know, even in Seattle where we haven't historically even needed air conditioning, right? Like when it's smoky, you can't yeah, open your the same thing. Yeah, you can't open your windows at night and get that that wonderful cooling that we do. The way we design our buildings with with double-loaded corridors prevents cross cross breezes and things of that nature as well. So I think that we're going to have to start shifting how we design our buildings. Uh, uh, in Europe, uh, external shading and dealing with, uh, you know, solar protection is is Huge! It's a huge market in Germany. The Bullet Center had to import their external shades, you know, so that they don't overheat from Varema, uh, which is a firm uh, based in Germany. I think we're going to have to see this industry-wide shift in how we build buildings, where we build buildings, uh, and 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 then what we do inside those buildings. Um, it's it's uh, it's. Uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, <laughs>
0: You hopefully, go in the right direction. <laughs> hopefully, you can
2: edit this out. But but it, it's going to be a big part of it. Is just how we have done things in the past is going to be so disconnected to how we do things in the future. Um, you know, we our energy codes are going to have to ramp up considerably to deal with wildfire smoke if we're going to keep having these issues and they're prolonged. Uh, you know, we saw in Texas, which basically has like the most basic energy code that you you could have, that even then, like it's it's not enough. We need you know passive house levels of insulation on buildings we need to retrofit ex- retrofit existing buildings and the EU is doing this at a huge huge scale uh, i don't think that we're really preparing for you know how drastic and varied and wild the future in the united states is going to be
0: yeah i mean i wonder you know we, it, i mean the three of us are uh, big proponents of 15 minute cities and you know walkable cities and uh, and I wonder, you know, just, it was, I mean, first of all, Europe has had a lot longer to, to butt up against environmental and population constraints. So their forbearance is, you know, a, a function of, 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 history. Right. Um, but you know, just infrastructurally, they were, they were set up a little bit better than us, but I mean, it's nice to see like on Twitter and stuff, you're sharing all of these, you know, interve- interventions, um, that are, you know, rolling out. Rapidly in the last, you know, few years in Paris and, and Brussels and so forth, um, that are you know uh, that that show that like you know it might seem like everything is kind of you know has always been quaint in Europe, but that you know that they've had cycles of of sprawl and car dependence as well. Um, although I mean, by and large, Europeans you know have a, a better respect for um, you know kind of the village model, uh, which I think is. Is so much of where I see, and I think the, the rest of you guys, you know, see things heading. Um, you know, smaller infrastructure, smaller, smaller governance, smaller, um, smaller everything. You know, and not having some uh, Bermudian, uh, you know, nameless organization managing a uh, Scottsdale single-family rental uh, um, portfolio or, or reaping, you know, ninety percent of the of the cash from it, right?
2: So it's, it's funny that you mentioned Brussels because uh, if you had asked me a decade ago, if I thought Brussels would be kind of the next up and coming city, I, I would have just completely glossed over and, and you know, moved to Paris or something like, the change that's happening in Brussels and the pace of change, I think is gonna start blowing everybody away. Uh, a decade ago, they had the worst uh, performing buildings in Europe. There was no energy requirements. Everything was masonry solid. Uh, in 2010, Europe passed, the, uh, the EU passed the nearly zero energy building requirement. Uh, ahead of that, Brussels basically said that by 2020, uh, all new buildings and a significant portion of uh, existing buildings would need to be retrofitted uh, significantly to reduce energy costs, carbon, protect from heat and cold spikes and stuff like that. Uh, Brussels got ahead of that and said, okay, look, if we're going to require this, let's, uh, let's require passive house levels of building construction now. Let's incentivize it. We're going to train people up. Uh, Today, it has like the most amount of uh, high performance buildings, the highest, it's like the highest floor area of high performance buildings in the entire world. So that's the building side. And it's phenomenal on that alone. Uh, On the land use side, they're changing things dramatically. There's a huge push for productive cities, circularity. um, They're removing cars from their city. They're becoming much more bike friendly. Like Paris in 10 years is going to, or sorry, Brussels in 10 years is going to look wildly different. Than brussels from 2010 like it's not even going to feel like the same city
0: how big is brussels two million uh,
2: I, yeah i think one and a half million or so two million um there is no city in the u.s that is doing anything at any scale similar to that but that's the, the kind of change that i mean we're really going to be have to driving towards you know to solve our housing crisis the climate crisis the affordability crisis the mobility crisis uh and greg maybe you can speak more to this but i I'm not seeing it anywhere and as a parent like it's just
0: it freaks me the the fuck out yeah no but but before I jump over to Greg like I mean this this is sort of the motivation for this is like basically to pressure municipalities like you like if you watch this podcast you know the facts you know um and and uh and like you can't say we didn't warn you you know it's it's whatever June 11th right (laughs) sorry Greg
1: Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I don't know if I know the points of intervention, Mike. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. It's like, yeah. So like where, you know, where, where do we where do we apply pressure on this? Because like, you know, from the European context, like obviously like, you know, Europe is different in the sense of like they can pass regulation and they can sort of push this down. You know, the, the libertarian Americanized context, like you're seeing insurers try to drive this. We've seen, you know, home builders and others push back on this as, you know, as, you know, burdensome regulation on this stuff. Um, and so I wonder like how much can we pass? I am curious about like your thoughts on like, whether there can be more standards on this, I mean, like you know, I mean, lead has its problems, to say the least. We'll get into that, but I am, I am curious because the latest language coming out of California is like we need to come up with like new codes and new fire-resistant homes. Which I'm like, I don't understand how you prevent a forest fire from burning your house down. But, th- but there is some movements on this about like you know for storms and for other stuff on this, and I'm curious about like where we can find like levers to crowbar in more regulations to, yeah, basically sort of you know try to try to hammer some of this stuff. Home and, and where because that's what I try to figure out. Like I don't I don't know if you can do this at federal code. Can you do this at the municipal level? Um, you know, can you work hand in hand with the insurers on this? I mean, lead. You know, back of the day used a ton of incentives for builders to do this. They used carrots instead of sticks. I don't know if that's a viable model for us for this for these issues as well. But I know those are some of the questions that jump out at me.
2: The uh, the the code one is an interesting issue. So especially in the energy code, code side, uh, our codes aren't written by the federal government um, in the EU. Codes are written by governmental agencies. Uh, In the US, it's a nonprofit. IBC, it's, uh, the ICC is governing most of- uh,
1: Which I lost track of the IBC IBC and about whether sort of the proxy votes that were happening there about whether cities could basically compel the IBC to change. There was a battle inside the IBC where the conservative elements were trying to prevent more progressive municipalities from changing those codes. Whatever happened there? My understanding is that the city's uh,
2: votes are effectively watered down. And so it will be more difficult for individual jurisdictions, at least on the energy side, to come in and say, okay, look, uh, we will require passive house mandates on all new construction. So I think what you'll see is that you'll, because of the way things are set up in the US, you'll start to see progressive cities saying, okay, uh, all public buildings, uh, we're already putting the money for it anyway, uh, will have to be passive house or, you know, whatever the the energy uh, model du jour is. the MUTCD that drives, you know, the streets. Uh, there's a huge push to get that revised as well right now because it was so poorly written. Um, yeah, it, I struggle with this because, like, I, you know, I, I identify more, I think, with the EU mindset. A little bit of carrot, a little bit of stick. Uh, here, it's like a little bit of carrot and no stick, right? And so it's we don't have the the pushing side, right? We're just kind of like leading you come, come closer, come closer. Uh, and the problem is, I think that the the, the issues are just so massive that little bit of a push, right, is never going to be enough to get to get the majority of things to change the way that they need to.
0: I, I mean, I've been thinking about this mostly from not necessarily looking at from a case study because, um, I mean, I started the change order group because no one was doing what needs to be done. <laughs> you know, no one, no one in the real estate world that I saw was really backing off and saying, not looking at necessarily what is happening, but what needs to happen uh uh based based on the data and starting there and reverse engineering from the status quo you know um and uh i mean to my mind it's going to happen to happen on a local level and that's why you know we've been you know i've been focusing on sites you know uh on site developments i mean a lot of the stuff like passive house is not against energy code (laughs) it's more you know like um so, you know, in, in many cases, the stuff that we're proposing is, is over a code or, you know, what if we had a flexible site? One of one, I mean, it's just like when you taste, I don't know, I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like America has been very panera out and doesn't really know what a, you know, like, <laughs> like a good meal tastes like anymore. And, um, you know, when, when people experience, uh, a, um you know, a walkable city or, um, you know, a sustainable city, they can, you know, they'll know it when they see it and that we could, you know, maybe as well, (laughs) while Greg stepped away, you know, a a good uh, opportunity of what we could do, like on a a municipal level or on a site, even on a site level, really. Um, And uh, and, and one of the things that, you know, that I've been thinking about a lot uh, is, you know, Hawaii apparently is the only state now that has um, declared a climate emergency uh, but I, but I suspect you know if if the summer is all it you know it, it's uh, it, it could be uh, that many uh, states will you know follow suit and you know whatever uh you know whatever legislation flows out of that could supersede uh, you know all these uh, uh, you know uh, issues that were you know kind of the, the the soft challenges that we're talking about here right um and, and so I guess it'd be a good, good good time to talk about what we could do like on a municipal level or on a site level, um, you know, uh, assuming, you know, shit hits the pan, um, or, or even if it doesn't, you just want to be prepared. You just want a better house. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Mike.
2: <laughs> I, I would say I would say on the, on the site level, you're going to want a building that exceeds the minimum building good, right? That's the, the minimum uh, legal building that you can do. Uh, so I would definitely aim for Passive House. Again, thermal comfort, uh, affordability can be built into it. Uh, the the indoor air quality is huge. It's quieter, right? There are all of these intangibles to passive house that, uh, for me as someone who would live in a dense urban environment, it just makes total sense. Um, I think you start looking at uh, building more walkable neighborhoods. Uh, the EU is really heavy into brownfield redevelopment, uh, eco districts right now, eco quartiers in France, uh, and these are like these dense uh, areas, not necessarily huge, right? Some of them are a couple of acres, four or five acres. But they're car-free in the middle, right? So they're walkable for all the residents that live there. They're incorporating kindergartens. They're incorporating shops. They're incorporating uh, parking garages, mobility hubs at the kind of the periphery, you know, to help keep that that center
0: um, uh, development open. Clim- climate yeah. canopies with greening, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Like there are so many things that we could be doing in development that are at least an attempt to mitigate some of these issues. Uh, and in the U.S., it's really just uh, it's it's we're seeing just the same thing over and over and over again in every city, right? And it's you, I don't know what it takes to to kind of flip that switch. To uh, I was having this conversation earlier with a a guy on the planning commission here in Seattle. How do we take our comp plan and maybe it's you know green green New Deal language or something else? But how do we take it and modify it so that we start to see kind of those those eco cortia those eco district developments uh, in in the U.S. where they're not car centric uh, and hopefully where they're in places that aren't going to be uh, too hot, uh, covered in wildfire smoke for a good portion of the year, uh, and things of that nature.
0: So, um, yeah, and I know, Greg, you got you got to get going. So, um, I, I'll actually give you a closing remark, and and I think um, you know, I'll just I'll just insert a sales pitch here, which is, and this is, um, I, I mean, I want to be aggressive in this. <laughs> like, I feel like everyone should be aggressive about this. Um, this is my kids. I'm, I'm you know. I'm sure your kids are great, but I'm thinking about mine, you know, (laughs) and it's their lives on the line. And um, someone needs to do something different. Just like you said, everyone's just, you know, another two over five or another single family home track, you know, uh, you know. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think it has to be done on a very hyper local level, um, starting, you know, and and having sort of a a nucleus from which, you know, stuff grows. Um, I mean, that's the way I'm seeing it. And, you know, so actively courting municipalities, developers, investors, repositioning uh, properties, um, brownfield developers, like Mike's talking about, any of that stuff. You know, this team, uh, we love that stuff. And we love putting our imagination to bear and, and, and actually assessing risk and whatnot um, and, and looking at and, and also helping push things through politically, uh, which is, um, you know, mine and Greg's uh, background as well, uh, in communicating why we're doing stuff. Uh, and, and why things need, need to be done, not just why we're doing them. It's not about us. This is what, you know, this is, this is, this is an imperative. Um, so again, um, you know, thanks for listening. Thanks, Mike, Greg. I really look forward to a continuous conversation. And, um, you know, if you want to contact us, changeorder.group uh, and info at changeorder.group. Um, Greg, you got any closing remarks?
1: Yeah, the last thing I want to add for, for anybody, any mayors who are listening to us as well. I mean, you know, one of the things that I've been working on or thinking about is how uh, remote work, whatever degree it sticks post-pandemic, is changing the equation here about where people will move and thinking about, like, where they want to live. And, you know, we're seeing cities. I'm, I've, I've been talking to cities in Indiana and Michigan. I've been talking, you know, the state of Vermont passed this. I know the state of Maine is looking into this as well. Places that are, you know, that have this resiliency are thinking about how do we attract people here? And we, we've spent this time talking a lot about, like, doom scenarios here. But I think one of the things that places have to recognize is that potentially to a degree, this whole trend of the last decade or so, where like 90% of the really high paying jobs have been concentrated in a handful of metros, Seattle, San Francisco, New York, and others could potentially change. People could re- work from elsewhere. And that means place is going to matter a lot more. That means the fact that you can position yourself as a you know, climate haven, which is a problematic phrase, but it's out there that you can position yourself. People will come to you. People will find you for that one. I, I think, you know, I think there's gonna be a lot more diversity in terms of what what lifestyles and what places people are going to vote for. And I say this as someone who's thought about this myself. You know, we all talked about our kids here. I mean, we emigrated to Montreal and climate was part of that. And the fact that Mayor Valerie Plant and her investment in a lot of these life cycle lifestyle things we've talked about, that was part of it too. And I think about the freshwater, I think about hydro Quebec and their investments in hydropower, the clean electricity that's going to position us for this there are other places that can get on this and start thinking about what are our natural assets? What are our cultural assets? How do we appeal for people for this? So I think it's a combination of those two things because we've seen all this growth in the Sun Belt. people vote with their feet, but people are gonna start making other decisions there. And it's not gonna be about, oh, it's you know doom, you know the Sodom and Gomorrah, the seas have risen and the fires have burned your home down. It's more like the notion of like, you can make other choices too. What are your values? Come to these places. And so yeah, I, you know, I-, I, think, I think there's a lot of opportunity.
0: Yeah, so I, I would love to shape that in this, you know, in these posts and make sure it's done in an equitable way and not just <laughs> not just if uh, capital chasing nice weather. <laughs> I just want I just want to that caveat at the end, but uh, but but well, it was a good uh, coda. So uh, I think uh, it's a great place to stop. Uh, thanks, gentlemen, and uh, we'll be back soon. Right.
2: <laughs> good. Thanks for having us.